All right. So at this point, you've probably heard of intermittent fasting. Maybe you've even tried it. But if I had to guess, you've always thought about it as just another diet. And girl, I got to tell you that there's so much more to it. I've been an intermittent faster for the past few years, and it's been a big, big part of my journey. And when I learned how to combine it with the big dial movers, when it comes to nutrition, not only did the weight come off, but it has stayed off. And so this is exactly why I created the Intermittent Fasting for Beginners ebook. This is a free guide that breaks down intermittent fasting in an easy to digest way so that you can learn the benefits, who exactly it's for and who exactly it's not for, and ultimately decide if it's right for you. In this free guide, you will walk away with a roadmap on how to begin your intermittent fasting journey, and I'm here to support you every step of the way. So just go to ambershaw.com forward slash fasting and grab your guide today. Welcome to the Wellness Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Shaw, a board-certified health and wellness coach, personal trainer, and body transformation expert for women over 40. I empower women to get off the crazy train of dieting and feel confident and sexy in their skin. As a recovering cereal dieter, mom of two who gained 65 pounds with both pregnancies and struggled with body image her whole life, I will be sharing tips and strategies to end the vicious cycle of dieting and find true food freedom while learning to love what you see in the mirror. Together, we will talk nutrition, fitness, mindset, relationships, and all things life after 40. You with me, mama? Let's go. Hey, hey, mama. Welcome back. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. And as I always say, because I get so fired up for the badass women that I get to, to interview and speak with, I'm really excited for who I've got with me today. So today I've got Lauren Zoller, and she is a somatic relationship expert. She's a motivational speaker and a podcast host, and she has achieved overwhelming success in helping high-performing female executives attract a dream relationship and a life they crave. She is the creator of the Aligned Love Experience, which I can't wait to hear more about, along with all the other things you're doing in this world. So Lauren, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, it's so funny. I was telling Lauren before the show that, so Lauren has an incredible social media presence and just the the truth bombs and the wisdom that she puts out there is just incredible. And I can't wait to share uh, a lot of that with uh, with you today. But I was telling Lauren, I was like, I don't even like to go to your page anymore because like you're you you get in my head. I'm like, I just I just want to scroll. I don't I don't feel like doing the inner work right now, Lauren. Like why you always have the right thing to say at the right time and you're just um just so much wisdom. So um I love, love, love what you're doing in this world, girl. Thank you so much. That means so much to hear yeah. too, right? Because it's, we think about that oftentimes when we're scrolling through Instagram, we're like, oh my gosh, was this yes. meant for me? Did somebody like put this out in the world? Was this meant for me right now? So it feels good to hear that, that that's being portrayed through yes, the work I do. It so is. And it's like every time right on point, I'm like, damn it, spirit, what's, what's happening here? Um, but I would really like to know. So first of all, I know when I was reading part of your bio and I said somatic relationship expert, I know the listeners are like, "Mm, what does that mean? What does that mean? So let's just start with that. What, yeah. What is a somatic relationship expert? 
So somatic therapy and somatic experiencing is being able to look at the way that your nervous system responds to anything, right? On a daily basis. So the way that I work, which is a little bit different than other coaches, and I would say is really kind of the term where the term somatic comes from, is we're really looking at the whole body. And I like to take a whole body approach to dating and relationships. So that means that we're really looking at what dysregulated nervous system patterns or what negative cognitive beliefs did you pick up from childhood that are now playing out in your current attraction journey, either in your romantic relationships or in your dating situations. So a lot of coaching out there is very cognitive, right? We hear all the time about mindset. Every coach out there is like mindset, mindset, mindset. And the missing piece, which was the missing piece for me, and also tends to be the missing piece for the majority of my clients, is that they're not looking at their nervous system. And when your nervous system and your brain are not online with one another, you're going to constantly self-sabotage in your romantic relationships and in any dating situation that you're going to be in because you're just recreating a false sense of safety in your body. So the term somatic relationship expert is really using somatic experiencing and somatic techniques to look at your nervous system and say, okay, how can I look at these dysregulated responses and shift them so that I can create a new reality for myself? I love just this idea too of just how how different and unique that is and what it kind of, it's like, I'm thinking to myself, just it makes you just go, huh, I never really thought about about approaching approaching dating and relationships you know from that standpoint which i think is what makes you such a badass which is why what you're doing in the world is so different and it's really resonating with so many people so i really want to go back to talk a lot about kind of really deep dive into like the somatic work and those techniques and inner childhood and all of that but first of all i am just so curious how did you even get into this line of work? How did you get to be a somatic relationship coach? Oh my gosh, it's such a story. Um, and I'm going to tell you the short version because if if I don't, we'll be here for hours and hours. But really, the way that I made my way into this work was through my own story. Um, I tell people that the majority of the healing work that I've done has been through the lens of relationships and really the failure of a lot of relationships in my life. Um, I started my coaching practice about eight and a half years ago. And when I started my coaching practice, I was working with other coaches, helping them launch and scale their businesses with heart. And about two and a half to three years into my practice, I had what I called my rock bottom moment. And I know that everybody talks about their rock bottom moment, but mine came like a whole explosion of dynamite in one day. I had this practice that looked really, really successful on the outside. It looked like I was living the life, right? Like I was traveling all over the place. I had these grandiose friends that I was being featured in, you know, NBC News and Thrive Global. It looked like I had built this really successful business and that I was living this life that everyone dreamed of. But what nobody really saw was that what was happening on the inside and what was happening in reality was that it was all a facade. It was all a mask. I was in a relationship at the time with a man who was addicted to alcohol. My business was bringing... Everything that was coming in was going right back out. 
so there was no stability. There was no stability within my practice. My health was tanking. So I had built this entire facade around what my life was and what it looked like. And so my rock bottom moment came one morning. I'll never forget this day. I got a call. It was probably seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I got a call from my now ex-boyfriend's mother telling me that he was going to rehab for the sixth time in one year. I mean, this was like a very well-to-do. Nobody knew, right? He also was living under a facade. And then later that day, got a call from my accountant notifying me and letting me know that he was going to drop me as a client because my business was so far in the red. I was $30,000 in debt that he couldn't see a way out. He's like, you're going to have to close this business and I can't have you as a client anymore. God. And to make matters worse, just a few hours later, I got a call from my doctor that the biopsy that they had taken two weeks prior looked like cancer. So in a matter of 24 hours, less than 24 hours, the entire facade that I had built for myself, which was fake anyways, came crashing down. My health, my relationships, my business, it was gone, right? And I was crushed because deep, I deeply desired abundance and a soul-filled relationship and health. Like I, I really valued and wanted these things in my life, but I felt like I could not hold on to them even if I had just a little bit of a glimmer of hope in my life. And so in that rock bottom moment, that truly was the catalyst where I, I, I told myself, okay, something's got to shift. Like there is something going on. All this mindset work that I'm doing is not working, right? So I have to find a different way. So that's when I became what I call a student of love. I just started pouring into myself. I started going to therapy I started find I found a new therapist, started going to therapy even more, started to invest in coaches even more than I was, right? I started diving into self-help books and I put everything on hold and I made the vow to myself, like, I've got to get to the root of what this is. And that is when I stumbled into somatics and somatic therapy. And I started to really look at the way that my inner child patterns and my dysregulated nervous system responses and my negative cognitive beliefs were creating this reality, right? It was like I was living in this perfect storm of a dysregulated nervous system and a horrible negative beliefs that it was just creating this toxic cycle over and over and over again in my life, right? And when I started to heal that, everything started to shift for me. My business realigned and I realized that my purpose, my sole purpose was to also lead women and men through the same work that I found. I found a dream relationship. I started to realign my friendships and this is the best part. My health scare completely went away. So this is how I was called into doing this work. I did it through the lens of relationships. I healed my relationship to self which therefore led me to deeper relationships with others. And that's what brought me here. So now I've dedicated my life to teaching women and men that exact same process that I went through. Uh, I, I am here for all of that. I, 
I just, I love hearing stories. And this is one of the, just why I'm so grateful to even do the work that I do just to be able to connect, like I said, with just other, just other women who are turning their, their pain into purpose and making it their life's work. It is so uh, inspiring to me. And so I, I love that. So I want to go back for a second though, when you talk about, cause I know there's a lot of listeners that are wondering exactly like, like what does it look like when you said something about your, your, um, uh, your your negative beliefs and your dysregulated nervous system. Like, what are some kind of if somebody's saying like, oh my gosh, do I have that? How do I know if I like have it? What are some like things that that someone could look for? Or maybe some you know some uh, inner conflict that somebody could be experiencing. Or how do they know if that is something that they need to explore for themselves? How do you recognize that? Yeah. So it depends on what lens we're looking at your life under, right? Since I work primarily in relationships and dating, the way that I would start the work is to just ask yourself, what doesn't feel good? Like what doesn't feel good in my relationships or what doesn't feel good in my dating situation? So for an example, for me in my dating situation, I would always attract addicts or men who were addicted to something outside of themselves, right? And The reason that I was attracting these types of people into my life was because I was needing external validation. I felt like I could save these men, right? And by saving them, it made me feel whole. So I had to realize, wait a second, if these are the the patterns that are showing up, if this is the same type of guy that's making its way, his way into my life, how is this a reflection of me? Right? And I started to, to realize that my body was comfortable in the saving. I felt safe when I could save some, when I could save someone. Just like the addicts felt safe when they would go to whatever their vice was, alcohol, drugs, their mother, right? right? Whatever it was. So where you can start, if you're really, depending on what lens you're looking at life under is what patterns do you notice that are showing up in your life that don't feel good? For me, dating addict after addict after addict didn't feel good. So I started there and then I started to ask myself the questions like, why is this showing up for me? If it doesn't feel good, why is it showing up? And I had to start to dissect and I have a process to do this. We can talk about it, but I had to start to dissect why doesn't this feel good? And what about me internally is calling this into my life? Because everything in your reality is a reflection of the way you view yourself. So if you can really ground yourself in that, you can start to look at what patterns show up in regards to what doesn't feel good and how you can start to pick up the pieces apart to, to shift that internal safety mechanism, which is what we call it, somatics. So I'm sitting here as you're talking and I'm thinking, you know, I, I, for me, you know, just as you're, you're talking about noticing the patterns. And I think for me, this was something that I really kind of caught me off guard after my divorce because I was married for, you know, 10 years. I was with somebody for 15 years. And when I started dating again, I started to notice these behaviors about myself that really like, through me for a friggin' loop, which was, and I've now done a work on it to where I can give it a name, but it is an anxious attachment style. 
And for somebody like me, who is very independent, who is very, even in my like marriage, my ex-husband would always be like, yeah, I mean, you want me close, but not too close. Like you always want to do your own thing. Like, you know, whatever, whatever. And so I really like, it just, that was a pattern that I started noticing that, like I said, just really freaking blindsided me as I, I, yeah, I was doing these behaviors where I was, it was total anxious attachment style. And for me, and yeah, I know there's a lot of listeners that don't know exactly what that means. Can you, can you explain a little bit to what, you know, maybe the attachment, uh, cause I, cause I want to talk about this inner childhood stuff because this is really where it brought me back to is starting to put put a finger on like where, what, what's going on here? Where did this happen? Um, but for the listeners that don't know kind of about the attachment styles, maybe you can shed a little light on that. Yeah, for sure. So actually the, the attachment styles is a great place for you to begin to listen into what doesn't feel good, right? So with anxious attachment, what we notice in people that are anxiously attached, they feel the need to have the approval from their partner to feel whole and to feel that sense of peace yes. and ease. So it's this constant running towards that person and needing that sense of validation, right? And you can actually feel that in your nervous system, yes. I'm sure, since you are anxiously attached, right? It's like, oh my gosh, they haven't called me or they haven't texted me or they, they don't want to hang out with me tonight. This means that I'm not worthy or blah, 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 right? You just have this whole train that starts to unfold. So what we notice is start there, right? And then we'll talk about avoidant attachment. There's di different attachment styles. When you start there, what you can do is you can start to look at and see, okay, wait a second. What was my relationship like with my mother or my father that started this need for external validation to feel whole and worthy, right? Because that's where the anxious attachment stems from. And I just want to say this too. I think with attachment styles, oftentimes people can use the attachment styles as a label, right? Like I am anxiously attached or I am an avoidant I have an avoidant attached tendency. The goal is for us to always operate in secure attachment, right? Secure attachment is two people who are grounded in their worth, who are able to express feelings properly and can coexist in a relationship without enmeshment with one another. Whereas anxious attachment is pulling towards the other attachment style is avoidant attachment. And there are other variations of anxious attachment and avoidant attachment, but these are the main two. Avoidant is the pulling away, right? It's the, I'm going to lose my identity in the relationship. So I'm going to pull away so that I can stay safe. Whereas an anxious attachment, they think, oh my gosh, my identity is the relationship. So I need to pull towards to stay safe. Secure attachment is staying grounded in who you are and knowing that the relationship is an extension of you. So if we're using attachment styles as a place to look at what doesn't feel good, you step into awareness. And then the, the second step from there, which is what I would suggest people go into, is to start to look at how is what doesn't feel good a reflection of what you learned in a parental dynamic 
from your childhood. And from here, you can start to tap into the somatic work. Yeah. And I can tell you for me and doing, and doing the work. And like I said, it was, it was really, and I, I think I have enough where I was always say, I would tell my mom, I'm like, mom, like I'm feeling all these things and I'm so torn up inside. I haven't, I always said, I have enough wherewithal to like keep the crazy push down. Like I wasn't like, you know, stalking men that I was dating and like overly texting me. Like, Why haven't you texted me back? And da, 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 da. and no judgment if, if that is where like sometimes you find yourself because our emotions can be very um, overpowering sometimes. And sometimes we find ourselves doing these things that we know are are not right, but we can't even control ourselves. So I just want to say that uh, I say that lightly controlling the crazy, but I don't think if you're listening to this and you're like, God, I've done that before and I hated myself for it. I don't think you're crazy, girl. I'm just saying I, I was able, I think, to control it at some level, just probably because of like work I've done in other areas of my life. But I was just, I was really noticing, yeah, that I was just doing behavior, like there, I was doing things and it was the way it was making me feel that it was very, very uncomfortable. And so I know for me, by doing the work, I was really, I think, able to track it back to when my parents got divorced and my father, who was a perfectionist, and really, I think I sought a lot of validation from my dad and always wanting to be perfect for him and all of that. And it's not like I'm blaming my dad for for my things going on, but I can see it so clearly now, right? And so, so I know for me, I still have a lot of work to do in that area. It really goes back to my just underlying belief of uh, like unworthiness um, and that I'm not good enough. Uh, that is something that's plagued me for my entire life. But now, because I've been able to go back and and I can see it now I've just started to become more aware of it right and I think within you'll I think you'll agree like with any change it really starts with just simply being aware right of of that so yeah 100% I always say that healing is twofold first step is awareness the second step is choice because it's like when you have awareness around what doesn't feel good and you can really understand where that comes from, because everything has a root and it always, at least the way that I teach, it comes back to our core wounds. It's like that one core wound that you learned as a child that continues to play itself out in everything that you do. And it's usually based in worthiness, which is what you just spoke about. Absolutely. When you have awareness around can choose. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of, you know, I, it's so funny. I, uh, Gabby Bernstein, um, I had had on the show a little while back and she uh, came out with a book and it was happy days. And she's talking about the big trauma and small trauma and, you know, the, the, how that really affects your, uh, your life. And, and I think that one of the things we were talking about on the show is that when it comes to big trauma, those may be the really obvious things that some of us can can recognize. Some of us also choose not to or are unable to recognize them. But one of the the things that we talked about that I thought was so important is those small traumas, right? Those small traumas, someone said something to you, someone made fun of you, you know, in the lunchroom or whatever. Those are the ones that I think can really fly under the radar and really show up later, particularly in relationships. So I'm just curious, like, what are some of the maybe even I know it's different for everybody, but maybe some common themes that you see when it comes to inner child wounds that you see manifest as an adult in relationships? Yeah, I love this question. And I could jam on this all day long. So I'm so glad that you brought it up. So here's the really cool thing before I dive into that Amber that I think people need to understand. And this is what's really 
like blew my mind when I was going through my somatic training that I think will put a lot of, a lot of what we're about to talk about into context for your listeners. Science has proven that no matter the trauma, whether it is, and let's talk about first off what trauma actually is. If you were to leave your house right now and get in a car wreck, right? Most people would be like, oh my gosh, that was so traumatic. And they'll call that a trauma event. What trauma actually is, if we look at the definition of it, it is the prolonged dysregulated nervous system response over an extended period of time. So the car wreck is not the trauma. The trauma is your nervous system reliving that car wreck over and over and over again because your nervous system has not been regulated. So when we look at this, and science has now proven this, the big T and little t trauma conversation, trauma is trauma is trauma. You getting in a car wreck and not regulating your nervous system and your best friend who was picked last to be on the dodgeball team 10 weeks in a row in third grade, and that was really traumatic, it can have the exact same response on your nervous system. So what we're seeing now, and I'm hoping that people can start to have this conversation, is that something as little as you feeling the need to be perfect for your father or for your mother as a child over and over and over again can be just as traumatic as experiencing sexual assault. And so that's why even the little things, like I said, trying to be in this space of being perfect for a parent or feeling like your emotions were not met as a child, having a parent who was emotionally absent or physically absent, divorce, all of these things are traumatic and can cause a disruption in the way that your nervous system responds to daily stimuli that will carry on into your adult life. So believe it or not, unless you had really woke parents who did a ton (laughs) of somatic work, 99% of the world's population has childhood trauma. I know I was telling Gabby that the other day. I was like, you know what? I just how how can I keep my kids off the therapy couch? I think I've already messed them up. <laughs> I was like, it's every that's what every parent they just know. Every time I yell at my son, I'm like, well, that's just one more therapy visit. So <laughs> just mess that one up. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I know. I- no, but you're right, and I and I love what you how you framed it though. For giving, I think you know the listeners permission to recognize and honor all trauma, right? All, all even the, the small trauma, right? Uh, the, the meaning, and we, again, we, we say small, small T meaning it wasn't like kind of a, the, in the bigger scheme of, you know, sexual assault or some of those larger scale, um, very traumatic experiences. But I love that you, yeah, give us permission to recognize and honor that it could have caused, it's very likely that it caused um, a very similar response. Yeah. Right. And I'll I'll give you a little example of this when it comes to dating and relationships. You know, I grew up, I grew up in a Polish household with women who believed that you come last, right? So everybody else gets served dinner and then you can sit down and have dinner. There is no time for self-care because everyone else has to be taken care of first. 
So at a very young age, I learned to have and feel worth through external circumstances. My mother taught me that, right? If everybody else is happy, I can be happy. So what happened, if you remember my story, I attracted addicts, right? I was rescuing because that is what felt safe to my nervous system. It was a dysregulated response in my nervous system that was saying the way that we feel worthy, the way that we feel whole is to rescue, is to put someone else before you because then you can be worthy. So because this was dysregulated, it was showing up in my 30s, right? And so I just kept attracting this same dysregulated response and it was a false sense of safety because I never regulated that quote unquote trauma response as a child. So how does somebody as an adult, and I know that's probably a lot of the somatic techniques that you teach and that you learned yourself, but how does somebody later in life or even, you know, later in life from childhood things, but also like a real time trauma, how do you learn to regulate your own nervous system or like kind of, yeah, how do, how do you, how do you fix that? Yeah. So depending on the trauma and depending on where you are and how things are showing up in your life, I do suggest working with a somatic practitioner because we have a whole, we have, I I call it the somatic tool belt. We have so many tools that we can use to ground you into your body and to really start to shift the way that your nervous system responds. But just to give you kind of a, a place to start, the best way to regulate your nervous system is to understand the language of your body and understand what your body is actually telling you at different points within your day. Because if you don't know how your body responds to a trigger, because let's be honest, when you're arguing with someone, you go into autopilot, you don't even really know what's happening in your body, right? You're usually like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to like throw this thing across the room because I'm pissed and I just want to get out of this situation, right? But if you don't know how to ground in and actually understand what is the sensations and the emotions and the feelings that are happening, what happens is that your trigger has control over you and you do not have control over the trigger. So if you are interested in somatics, the first thing that I do with all of my clients is I walk them through what I call a somatic check-in. And a somatic check-in is simply closing your eyes, taking five deep breaths, and then naming the emotions and naming the sensations that are showing up in your body. And that's it. Just naming them. Not creating a story around why they're there, right? Not trying to explain why they're showing up in your body, but just start getting comfortable with what I call the alphabet of your body. Like really understand the sensations and the emotions that show up. The reason this is important is because when you do have, let's say, an explosion, right, in your life, you have an argument with someone, or let's say you're in a dating situation and somebody ghosts you, you can then go back into your body and name the sensations and the emotions. What those sensations and emotions do is they give you the sentence structure for your nervous system. And you can say, wait a second. Is this a dysregulated response? If it's a dysregulated response, I can use these tools to then regulate and come back down into what we call your window of tolerance. Now, 
this is why you need to work with a somatic practitioner because a lot of these, a lot of these terms are probably like too much, right? But the first step, if you want to get into somatics is that you have to learn the language of your body, because if you don't know the language of your body, it's going to be really difficult for you to identify when your body is regulated and when it's dysregulated. And and when you say, when you were talking about being regulated versus dysregulated, would you say that when you are in a dysregulated state, that's when state, that is when you are making decisions about your behavior that really isn't probably in congruence for the way that you want to show up in the world, right? Is that what you say is kind of the biggest? Yeah, absolutely. So the dysregulated in the somatic world is the four survival responses. It's when your body is in one of the four survival responses, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So I'm happy to talk about those and break them. Yeah, down a I, I bit. think it kind of just you know gives the listeners a little idea when you say dysregulated. Like what? Well, yeah, what does exactly that mean? Would love it. Yeah. So when you're in a dysregulated state, your body is fighting to survive. And so if we if we use the analogy, and I'd love to use this analogy with my clients of a bear chasing you in the woods. Okay. Which doesn't I do the same often, one, but I, I talk about Freddy Krueger. You know, Freddy Krueger is from Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm like, when Freddy Krueger's chasing you through the woods, <laughs> only women like at my age or in our age, like they only get that. That's one. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I love it so much. Well, it's just like Freddy Krueger <laughs> Either or one. a bear. <laughs> Either one. When you are, let's say that you see a big yeah. scary bear, right? Your body is going to go into survival mode. First thing that it's probably going to do is it's going to go into fight mode. It's going to be like, oh my gosh, you're probably going to be like, I'm going to need to fight this bear. What happens in that moment is that all of the blood rushes from your vital organs into your extremities to get you ready to potentially run away from this threat that's standing right in front of you. And or it's going to give you superhuman strength to kick the shit out of this bear if it comes close to you, right? So your body is having what we call a survival response to something that it's in its vicinity is a threat. So fight is the first, and you may feel this, right? If you are, let's say um, you find yourself in an argumentative state with someone that you love and you're a fighter, right? You can probably feel that sense of everything rushing to your extremities and you're getting really hot. Maybe your stomach is starting to tighten. Your heart rate is starting to elevate. This is a dysregulated response. Your body is trying to get you to safety. So fight is the first survival response. The second one is flight. So if fighting the bear doesn't work, right? And you realize, oh gosh, I'm not going to survive this. What do you do? You start to run away from it. In real life situation, if you find yourself actually, let's say you're arguing with someone and you leave the situation, you're that person that's like, peace out, not dealing with this. You can probably start to feel your body have a visceral response of starting to clam up and shut down and want to get away ASAP. That's a flight response. Freeze is playing dead. So let's say that you fought the bear, you ran away from the bear. It's not working. What are you going to do? You're out of options. You're going to freeze and play dead and hope that the bear thinks that you are a dead animal. We see this often in relationships 
where the person freezes and says nothing. I do that. I can tell right? you that I can. Yeah, I'm that. I, I oscillate between fight and freeze, like or fight and dead. Fight and dead. That's usually, <laughs> usually I'm either fighting or I'm dead. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people do, right? It's also the silent yeah. treatment, guys. It's silent treatment. The good old silent treatment is freeze, right? And then the very last one that a lot of people, this is new in the somatic world. And a lot of people don't talk about it. The fourth survival response is fawn. Fawning is trying to become friends with the bear, right? It's like, look, everything else is out the window. Fighting's not working. Flight's not working. Freeze isn't working. So I am going to try to be friends with you and I'm going to discount myself so that you will not attack me which is where the majority of the world's population lives in. They're constantly fawning to not tune into themselves. So when I talk about being in a dysregulated response, when you're in one of these survival responses over and over and over again, essentially that's trauma. And that creates a reality that isn't truly what you desire because you're constantly in this state of survival. So we need to get you out of that so that you can be in a secure state. I think it's just such an, you know, kind of an aha moment. I know for me and for a lot of listeners, I think it's just like a kind of a, a good uh, rule of thumb. I mean, this is what I'm taking away from this is that if you find yourself or whatever the situation is, um, constantly in a dysregulated state, that number one, it's probably not the relationship for you. But number two, well, okay, well, let me back up. Actually, as I say that I'm thinking, wait a minute, how do you know when it's not the racial relationship for you or it's really it's a you problem, right? How did like that can be kind of tricky, right? Because I'm like, oh, it's just not the relationship for me. I'll just move on to the next one. But then it's like, nah, it's really a you problem. So how, how do you know that fine line? Yeah. So that's a really great question because truly it's always a you problem. And what makes a great relationship work is when two people can say, wait a second. I'm being triggered. I need to work on this, right? And I'm also going to show up for the relationship and we're going to have an open conversation around this in honor. Like, hey, I really want to run away right now. Like I am being triggered and my body is like, get the heck away from this conversation. But I'm going to stay and I want to talk about this, right? Now, when those open conversations aren't happening anymore, or if there's one person that's not willing to say, hey, I need to talk about this or I need to work on this, the relationship can't work. Yeah, really. you had a video and I can't remember when you had posted it, but it was talking about kind of one of the red flags. Actually, you did a whole awesome series on social media about the red flags to know. Uh, and it's like, it always, the, those are the ones that always seem to like hit me, right? And I was like, damn it, I guess I got to break up with this guy, like whatever. Um, but basically it was like, if you, one of the r red flags is if you find yourself constantly in a situation in a relationship where you, anytime you go to that person and try and talk about the way that you feel and it ends in an argument, like that huge red flag, like that is right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that person's not willing to listen to your feelings. I think that that's you. Right. Or in your emotions. For sure. What are some other, of course, you had a whole series on this, so we won't need to run through these, but what would you say maybe top two then other that you think uh, you would want, if they took anything away from a red flag conversation, you would want the listeners to hear what are like the top two? Okay. So actually the New York Post just did a whole article on this. I, I love loved it. it. They pulled my TikTok and like Good did a big thing on it today. Yes. Yeah. It was, and it's, it's a big one and this will probably be like a shock to a lot of people, but 
butterflies after the third date. You should have them or you should not have them. You should not. You should should not. not. Oh, okay. Please do tell. I need to know more about this. Oh, God. So... Like, what if you sell butterflies so after butterfly- like six months dating somebody? Now my room, I really screwed. <laughs> well, let's, like, let's really look at what butterflies okay. actually are. Because butterflies, if you're feeling this sense of nervous energy, right? If your stomach feels like it's turning in knots and you feel like you're, you're not able to be yourself, right? Like you're like, oh my gosh, I can't be myself with this person. And you're constantly walking on eggshells. That is a sign that your nervous system doesn't feel safe. Yeah. It's safe with this person. Now it could be that there's something that you need to work on, right? So that you can ground into yourself to feel safe. But I would say nine times out of 10, your nervous system is giving you the clue that this person doesn't feel right. There's something going on that doesn't feel safe and at home. Because truthfully, if you're in a conscious relationship, that person should feel like home, right? Think about friends that you have in your life that feel like home, that you feel like you can really be yourself with. That's what you want to feel in a relationship. I think that's so brilliant. And I think it's really just recognizing, do you, you know, oh, you could, because you, you could mask it as, oh, I have butterflies or whatever, but it's really learning to pay attention to your body and be real with yourself is, is this excitement because I'm excited to see them because I love them and I love being with them? Or is this like, yeah, this is this is because they make me nervous and I'm walking, yeah, and I'm walking on eggshells. That's such a good distinction. I love that. Okay. Well, wh- what's what's one more you got? What's one more red flag that you would say? Because that, that was a huge one. Flag. Okay. Let me think of another one. That one's a big one. People always are like, oh my gosh, that's that one takes the cake. I would say someone who comes someone who comes on too quickly, right? Someone that wants to see you all the time and is texting you all the time and is asking you questions about like, what is this? Right? Like, are you, let's say you're on dating apps. Are you off the dating apps? I'm off the dating apps, right? And you've only been seeing them for what I say, less than 90 (laughs) days, right? (laughs) So if somebody is rushing that, that's a sign that some deep anxious attachment may be at play. And they may have not necessarily done the work to recognize that and honor it. Yeah, so true. So true. Oh my God, Lauren, I could sit, I could have you on here all day long. And I got to tell you, my friends, we didn't even scratch on you. We didn't even, we just, we just scratched the surface of, of Lauren's gifts and just wisdom and just her ability to speak the truth. So Lauren, I am so grateful that you were here today. Tell everybody where can they find you? Where are you hanging out these days? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Lauren Zoller is my handle. And then TikTok too, just at Coach Lauren Zoller. And my, I also have a website where all my offerings are. We're getting a brand new revamp. So the new website should be up in a the next couple of weeks, but it's just laurenzoller.com. Amazing. And listen, I want to tell you if you're listening to this and you're married, uh, you still need to follow Lauren because this, the, the what she talks about is really just relationships in general. And I think it's applicable to your work relationships, your friendships, just, you know, your relationships just as a whole and how you want to connect with people. Because I think that, you know, childhood trauma and triggers and all of that can even happen with, uh, with family members, with, with friends, with, with lovers, with everybody. So it's just, you need to check out my girl, Lauren. So I'm so grateful you're here today. Thanks for being here. 
Amber, thank you so much. Yes, so my dear. All right, Mama, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Wellness Revolution. I hope you're feeling more empowered and inspired from this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you consume podcasts and connect with me on social media. I'm Miss Amber Shaw. That's MS Amber Shaw across all platforms. And remember, you got this, mama. Until next time.